live wires on the team connect get respect for they realness i know you feel this yesterday we talked about candles today we talked about the bachelor i wonder what we're going to talk about tomorrow trying to think i don't know man i i have no clue what we're going to talk about but me neither yeah it's that's what's crazy about weston walker man you never know what they're <laughs> gonna say next hopefully we're talking about a good performance from panthers rookie quarterback bryce young and we've played a lot of audio on this show hell on the station about all the different people's opinions of our rookie quarterback and yesterday danny cannell joined Blue Chew Bailey in the afternoons to say that the rookie is having the type of year you typically see from a rookie quarterback in the National Football League. I would say comparison is the thief of joy because I think what is happening with Bryce Young is completely normal. Uh, he is a rookie quarterback who is going through typical rookie struggles. Now, when I say comparison is the thief of joy, I think when you look around, you see C.J. Stroud, who, of course, we know was taken number two, you're like, wait a second, why can't we have that guy? Like, what's what's going on with him? Who is, by the way, I think C.J. Stroud is having maybe one of the best rookie seasons uh, in the history of the NFL with what he's doing with the Texans. So I understand some of it. I understand there potentially could be some buyer's remorse. But if you didn't see what he was doing, I think you would see what you've seen, what happened with Trevor Lawrence, what you've seen happen with Peyton Manning. So I would say be patient, which I understand it's very frustrating with the lack of success the franchise has had over the last six or seven years, but that's really just kind of all you can do. Does the, the does the makeup of Bryce Young make you confident that this will make him a better quarterback in the long run? Because once he figures it out, once he gets the, the, the proper blocking, once he gets the proper receivers around him, we've got a track record of him of knowing that he's going to be a baller on the football field. Uh, yeah, I do, for sure. I think Bryce has high football character I always have. And so for him, I think, as I've said earlier, I think he's running into his first real football adversity. But I think he's the type of kid, you can tell everything about his personality, how he carries himself, that he's going to use this for motivation to get better. He's learning each and every game, and I think it's going to bode well for him in the future. I agree with Danny Cannell that everything will be fine and that comparison is stealing away some of our joy, even though there's not much joy to be had, C.J. Stroud balling or not. We did get to see him improve quite a bit in the Houston game, and I think we had seen him improve from game to game before we got to the victory against the Texans. Man, did we experience a big old setback against the Indianapolis Colts. Here's what I want to keep in mind for everybody. Dan Orlovsky was debating on first take today that CJ Stroud should already be a part of the MVP conversation. That was a topic on first take. Stephen A. Smith said, hold on, I'm pumping the brakes on it a little bit. Lewis Riddick is telling you that CJ Stroud already is a top 10 QB. And that's all understandable. The guy's been playing fantastic football after throwing for close to 500 yards. Yeah, man, that's real impressive. Let's not forget, Dan Orlovsky also last year after watching what Justin Fields was doing on the ground in the second half of the season, brought up the same point. Justin Fields deserves to be in the MVP conversation. I bring that up to say four hours ago, there was a clip uploaded to ESPN.com or It's hard to see Justin Fields with the bears in 2024. Think about how different things can be in just one year's worth of time. MVP conversation last year. To 
whether he's right or wrong, he's certainly telling you now, I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be with the Bears one calendar year later. It doesn't mean that C.J. Stroud is going to be a bad QB by any means, but think about how many things can change in just one year, like Bryce Young being a good QB because maybe there's more help around him with the offensive line protecting at a better rate, with better weapons surrounding him. You don't have to just funnel all the targets to Adam Thielen. Things can change dramatically. Hopefully, Bryce Young can experience that on the positive side going into a sophomore campaign. Moving on, remember back in the preseason when the Panthers got shut out by the Jets and Frank Reich admitted he didn't put his position in player or his players in position to win the game and they kept everything very vanilla. Well, according to JTO Sullivan, who does a great job on the QB school, he still sees a lack of creativity in the Panthers' offense. Pass protection, an issue. Separation on the perimeter, an issue. There's just nowhere to go at the top of the drop that damn near every single pass play. That part of it is tough. You tether that to what I'm going to classify as, the nice way to put it, old scheme. So we're running Hank. We're running all, everybody run up to the sticks and turn around. The game has just improved so much with being able to marry concepts together that are better versus multiple coverages. So having multiple runaways, having choice routes with faster guys, using motion and stack formations to create leverage opportunities, not just, hey, we're going to run Hank. Let's run Hank again. We're going to run stop spacing. We're going to run stop some more. We're going to run deep hooks. There's just no one's winning. They're not scared of any of the vertical threat. And we're not throwing the ball down the field. All that stuff combined, just a really, really tough day. Is, is the undoing of Frank Wright going to be his inability to evolve as an offensive mind? And maybe him and Thomas Brown, they just don't marry well together as offensive minds? Yeah, I mean, when you look at this play, when he's talking about Hank, I mean, that's like a classic Madden basic play where everybody runs curls and the running backs run out to the flat. And so uh, this is not a very dynamic concept by any stretch of the imagination. And I think JTL Sullivan is right. And I think that's one of the reasons why he turned things over to uh, Thomas Brown. And then you look at the offensive line from pass block, win rate, run block, win rate, they're 19th and 31st respectively. But I think we saw a little bit of that stacking the receivers when we saw the big completion from Bryce Young to uh, Haynes when he um, Lord have mercy. What's the uh, the tight end? Because I wanted to make sure I got his name. For us, Hayden Hurst? Yeah, Hayden Hurst. Okay. okay. I, I always want to call him Haynes. I don't know why I want to call him that. Hayden Hurst. Get so Georgia Tech saw, off the mind. Uh, yeah. So we saw the, uh, the trips formation there, and we saw the multiple routes in the route stacked underneath uh, Hurst route as he caught that big play from Bryce Young. And so, yeah, man, that, that's what they're going to have to do because there are ways to – get around and mask a lot of things about your offense and for uh, Frank Reich to come out in the preseason after they looked so bad and uh, things weren't looking great we heard that it was vanilla and they had more in store which we've yet to see yeah that's the problem they changed offensive play callers and it worked against Houston I guess enough to get a win but remember they only scored 15 points they got held in check on a couple of fourth to go situations but it didn't work against the Indianapolis Colts, who had one of the worst statistical defense heading into that matchup. Yeah. So when you're talking about Hank, 
which is going to be hilarious. I feel like that's going to be ingrained in my brain <laughs> for the rest of the season. Hey, stop running Hank. I don't care what play they run. They could run a Hail Mary. I'm going to call it Hank Mary. That's all that's going to be in my brain this entire time. But it's passed on now from Frank Reich to Thomas Brown. It's not, all right, well, let's change it up. You already did. Thomas Brown was putting together some plays in the offensive game plan that you had with Frank Reich at the helm. But what did Reich tell you ever since he handed the reins to Thomas Brown during a bye week, by the way? So we're talking about, what, three weeks or so, a little more of Thomas Brown being in charge of the offense after that decision was made. He said this was Thomas Brown's call. Whatever Thomas wanted to do, that's how he was going to call his games. And even in the clip that got everybody hyped up, the one win against Houston, where they're taking us behind the scenes. You got Frank Reich mic'd up, and he says, Thomas, whatever play call you want here, man, whatever one you want. It was like a third or maybe it was the fourth down reception to Adam Thielen. People were hyping it up. It was on social media. Whatever you want, Thomas, you got it. Call whatever you want. And now it's against Indianapolis. This isn't to criticize what Thomas Brown is doing. It's just showing you, man, there's, there's not a lot to work with. If the pass, If the pass blocking is atrocious, if you're not even run blocking all that well, if the wide receivers aren't getting separation unless you're Adam Thielen 10 yards within the line of scrimmage, then where are you going to go with it? So this is what's tough. It's not an indictment on Thomas Brown's ability to call plays. It's just, man, you hope that they're creative, but making this move to Thomas Brown, it didn't fix anything. That goes to show you there's nothing that's going to be fixed. All right, really quick, because I got two more pieces of sound I want to play. We know that Tyson Bajan is going to be the quarterback tonight for the Bears. But hear how Matt Eberflus addressed Justin Fields' injury status ahead of tonight's game. I'm just, I'm not, I'm having trouble understanding. He's, he's not playing, but he's doubtful. There's, is he out or doubtful? He didn't know he's listed as doubtful. You're saying that he's out. He's not going to play. We'll see where it goes. Uh, the chances are doubtful, 51% that he's in or out, and uh, it's going to be, we'll see where it is. We got a little time left, but uh, again, We'll declare him out when he's out. Uh, right now, we're still listening to him as doubtful. <laughs> I think we know why the Bears suck. Did he say 51% he's in or he's out? I don't know what 51% is subscribed to. Like, I don't. Does it mean that you put it to he's in and then 49 he's out? I don't know. That was the most incoherent thing since I've heard. Well, I would love to compare that to what Arthur Blank talked about with Bijan Robinson not oh, getting God. enough t- touches. I, yeah, I can't stand him. <laughs> Wes, I'm so glad you said that. That five-minute explanation that he had, I had to turn it off after a minute and a half. This is true. I'm not exaggerating. I listened to Arthur Smith. I want to say Arthur Blank. I do it every time. (laughs) I want to hear. I was trying to listen to Arthur Smith tell us as to why he wasn't giving Bajan Robinson enough touches in the red zone. And the first minute and a half is telling us, well, we got to be objective. If things aren't working, then I understand some of these questions that come my way. And as a coach, I got to make sure that I'm objective when evaluating my team. So I understand these questions. And when you are objective, what? Just tell us why. Exactly. Arthur, stop. He did the same thing with the quarterback stuff too, man. He dances around like MC Hammer in the 90s. Well, and when he's talking to the media, I mean, everything is snarky. Right. Oh, yeah, everything. That's it's what I'm saying. About, it's all about fantasy football. Man, you drafted Kyle Pitts as high as a tight end has been drafted since Vernon Davis. You don't use him. You use Jonu Smith. There was a play that you drew up to have like a third string tight end throw to your backup tight end where the tight end you drafted fourth overall was blocking. Mm-hmm. And now we're asking about Bajan Robinson not getting red zone touches. And we're trying to figure out 
wait, if you're a decent play caller, why isn't this adding up to wins? Anyway, all that to say, that was incoherent, and so is this answer from Not Matt Not to Iberflus. mention, too, Iberflus's hairdo. I saw him this morning. I mean, he looks like a classic movie villain. It's, like, layered at the back. Like, it's... It's crazy. Like a white collar movie villain? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I didn't know if he was in the streets out here fighting or if he was behind no. the scenes type of guy. That immediately, do you feel in charge? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know if it was that. Do we have enough time for one more or do we want to go to break, Fitty? Oh, no. I wanted to play this piece of sound to see if I could get you back to the foul line because Terrence Oglesby <laughs> on a Hornets postgame live on Bally Sports South, he addressed how they can defend the five-out offense a lot better after getting uh, torn apart last night by the Wizards. I'm wondering if maybe they switch some of the matchups and have Mark guarding somebody else on the floor as opposed to it being a primary ball handler or primary screener, right? Maybe put him on the backside, but they're going to continue using him until he figures this out. And one thing that he has been really good at is when people attack him and he's playing back and drop coverage, where at times he struggled at is guarding in open space where there's nobody else there and he's having to guard one-on-one way away from the basket. And some of the smaller teams that they've played, the Brooklyn's, the Indiana's, they've been able to take advantage of that get him out in space and then attack him. This is something that Mark Williams should get better at, but if you're going to change one thing, I would communicate more and be louder because there were a lot of times today where they'd end up two people on the ball and it'd be wide open shots at the top of the key. So communication, cut down on turnovers, you'll have a chance next game against Washington. Walker, are you good or is that blood reboiling after your first segment foul line visit? No, I mean, well, I don't know if there was any lie that he told. That is something that Mark Williams is struggling with in the perimeter. I think Mark is supposed to protect the rim at all costs. And so he's caught in between his assignment, whether it be Gallinari, whether it be Dorian Finney-Smith, and trying to do what he was drafted to do in protecting the rim. What was interesting is Steve Clifford talking about a small ball center not really having one on this roster, or at least a five-out center, not small ball, because there is a difference. Miles Turner can be a five-out center, but he's not small. He's one of the better shot blockers in the NBA. Could you go with P.J. Washington like they did against the Brooklyn Nets, have him run small, where then everybody can have that capability of guarding on the perimeter, but Steve Clifford didn't go to it until Brooklyn late, and it was too late for them to come back into that game. Remind me what coach used P.J. Washington at the five in a good season for the Hornets. You are right. <laughs> Fiddy is right on this. James Borrego did use P.J., and P.J. had good team numbers as the small ball center, but Steve Clifford didn't want to go to it. I, I get him, though. He wants to play his top five players. Mark is one of those guys. Hopefully they figure it out sooner rather than later here, Wes, because, man, they don't have much more time to lose at all. I mean, we're just always talking about defense with the Hornets, and we know in today's NBA, man, you can't just be a shot blocker sitting under the basket. They're going to bring you out and see what you got out there. That's just the way the game goes now. So Mark is going to have to get better with that. 52-year-old Gallinari after not playing (laughs) an entire season. That's what I watched go off last night.